Hello, everybody, and welcome again to Submitted for Your Approval, a Twilight Zone podcast. I am your host, Brandon Cruz, and with me, I have Steve. I never actually figured out how to say your last name, so... It's uh, it's Gronert Ellerhoff. Gronert Steve Gronert Ellerhoff. Yeah, it's yeah. a mouthful. Yeah, well, thank thank you so much, Steve Gronert Ellerhoff. Did I say that right? You got it. Yeah, yeah. well Bam. done. <laughs> uh, th- thanks for coming on the show, man. Thank you for having me. I'm happy to be here. Uh, and uh, Steve is a uh, he he teaches over at uh, community colleges. He's got a PhD, right? Uh, you, you wrote you wrote yourself a an awesome cool book, uh, post Jungian psychology and the short stories of Ray Bradbury and Kurt Vonnegut. Yeah, uh, thank thank you for saying it's cool. That's I'm glad someone thinks so. You know. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, I, I want to talk. I want to talk about your book uh, a little bit uh, later. Um, because like I said, I think it's cool, but I also have my bachelor's in sociology. So, um, but, uh, yeah, why don't you, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? I mean, I can tell people about you, but you're Um, the expert. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Since I know myself so well, um, (laughs) I'm learning more about myself every day. Yeah. Um, I, so I'm from Iowa, uh, Des Moines, Iowa. Um, and, uh, let's see, I went to the University of Iowa, studied English, went to uh, Lancaster University in England, studied creative writing. Um, I worked in a toy shop for five years in Portland, Oregon. I write fiction as well as, um, I suppose, literary criticism. And I ended up going to Ireland and getting another master's degree and then a PhD at Trinity College, Dublin. And that's where I met Tiffany Hearsey, who's your good friend, who's yes. done several of these episodes with you. Tiff McGee, Tiff, um, Tiff Hearsey. Yeah. <laughs> We've got to give a shout out to Tiff. Yeah, Tiff's um, awesome. She and I, she, uh, she's awesome. Do you know the House on the Rock in Wisconsin? Do you know about it? No. I have it's a feeling this- that I will know in a second. Oh, man. It's this bizarre... So basically, she found out about this place called House on the Rock. And yeah. this eccentric, in the middle of nowhere, Wisconsin, built this house that's sort of Frank Lloyd Wrighty meets Japan, but not really. And he also filled it with all this crap, um, just co- <laughs> collections of just the most bizarre things, suits of armor. And yeah. uh, there's a whale that's actually bigger than any whale that actually exists. Um, <laughs> it's, it's amazing. And, um, so she visited me and we went out there. So, and we saw it and it changed my life. That place rewired my psyche. I'm telling you, it's, <laughs> it's, it's bizarre. Um, it, it sounds like my garage. <laughs> oh man. Well, I know where my next trip is. Minus minus oh. the giant whale. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, man, this whale. It's got teeth. It's bizarre. What? I have I have a megalodon, but but not a whale. Oh, you got a <laughs> megalodon. That's even better. I'm coming. Uh, I'm coming over. So, anyway, yeah, good old Tiff um bringing good people together, you know. A- absolutely. And and uh you know, uh talking to you hit it off right away. I I feel yeah, absolutely. And, and and you can disagree, just not on the show. Um, <laughs> but so I appreciate you coming on uh, to, to talk about our next episode, which is The Purple Testament. The Purple Testament, uh, originally aired February 12th, 1960, directed by Richard L. Bear. It stars William Reynolds as Fitzgerald, a Twilight Zone alum, Barney Phillips, who's also, he's in Will the World Martian Please Stand Up? And, of course, Dick York from Bewitched. Right? Oh, yeah. Yeah, Did Darren. Right? He's the first Darren. <laughs> not yes. the second Darren. He's the first Darren. He's like, uh, uh, you know, I think of all these, uh, we'll get back into the show in a second, but I think of like all these shows where they replace the main, one of the main actors. <laughs> yeah. Like, like Chrissy and... <laughs> yeah. Oh, brutal. Uh, John from from Chips. Oh yeah. yeah, yeah. Why do like why do they think they can do that? I don't know. I don't know. I mean, on Bewitched, it was almost like, I mean, it almost works because of all the magic and and you know the witchcraft and so on. Right. But other shows, it's just like what? Well, I mean, that's why it worked in Chips too. Was the the magic <laughs> and the witchcraft? <laughs> <laughs> oh, Ponch. Absolutely. Ponch, oh, Ponch. Oh. <laughs> um. 
But, uh, oh, okay, getting back into it. So the teleplay uh, by Rod Serling. Rod Serling wrote the story for us. Uh, so let's, let's go ahead and jump right in this. We find ourselves in the war in the Pacific. And uh, we see the episode starts off, Rod Serling's narration. Uh, there's a bunch of solar soldiers getting off of the Jeep, and uh, they're, they're battle-worn. Uh, they're depressed. And we, uh, we find ourselves uh, going over to Lieutenant Fitzgerald, who is, is our main character. And he goes in and he talks to Dick York's character, uh, Cap- Captain Riker, I believe. And he tells him, the f- we lost four people, and I, I knew those four people were going to die. I wrote their names down yesterday on a piece of paper. Of course, Dick York is like, well, that's weird. Are you sure you wrote that yesterday? Uh, maybe you wrote it on the way back. Of course, Fit- Fitzy, as we'll, as we'll appropriately call him now. Fitzy, yeah, Fitzy. <laughs> uh, he's like, no, I wrote, I wrote this yesterday. All right, so the so scene changes. Uh, they, they're at, at a hospital, um, and, and Dick York is, is talking to the Twilight Zone alum, Barney. Captain Gunther is saying, yeah, he, he really believes it. Can you just take a look at him? He's a really good officer. There's there's nothing in his record saying otherwise. And the doctor says, of course, sure. Scene switches over to Fitzy. He's talking to one of his soldiers upstairs in the hospital. And the uh, they have a, a, a funny little rapport going on. And Fitzy, he, he had told Dick York earlier, I saw a light on their face. I saw a light on these four people's faces. I, I knew something was going to happen to them. And as he's trying to leave uh, this this soldier who's bedridden at this hospital, Smitty, he Smitty. Fitzy sees the light on Smitty's face. Fitz, Fitz passes out, falls on the floor, and of course there's this uh, this private who's like standing over him, like, "Hey, LT, what <laughs> what are you doing on the floor there?" <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> exactly. Yeah, it's exactly how it goes. <laughs> yeah. uh, and so so Fitz gets up. And he sees that Smitty has died in that span of, of 20 seconds. Whoa, deep. So yeah. he, that's it, a sad part. The, um, the sort of orderly guy who's there, he says, you know, just like that, they go awful quick sometimes, awful yeah. quick. Yeah. Um, it's a, yeah, it's a, that's a terribly sad um, scene. Um, anyway, go on. Yeah, no, I, 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 don't, I don't disagree. I don't disagree. It's completely sad. <laughs> I, I laugh, uh, but I mean it is. Uh, I just that's just how I deal with sadness. Is I'm of laughing. course, you well, you know, Kurt Vonnegut said, you know, you can either laugh or you can cry, and laughing is a lot less messy. Uh, <laughs> God, I love that man. Yeah, he's great. So so Fitz goes downstairs and he he sees uh, Dick York, and he's like, I Dick York says the doctor says Smitty's going to be okay. No, he's not. Dick York. He calls him Dick York. He breaks here. You know, he's not Dick York. Uh, I saw his, I saw his face. The light was on his face again. Uh, he's dead. Uh, so he freaks out a little bit. They have a little uh, conflict there. Um, but the, so the scene shifts uh, again. Now they're back in their, their camp. They're away from the hospital. They're back in uh, their forward deployment area. And Dick York is now planning a, a nighttime kind of invasion of, of a village. And, so after Dick York goes through the plans, like, okay, across here, the, the, the Filipinos are going to go over here, the gorillas. Uh, Fritzy, Fritzy, what? No. Fritz the cat. Fitz. <laughs> R. Crumb's version of the Twilight Zone. Yes. Uh, Fitz looks over at Dick York and, of course, sees the light on Dick York's face. He immediately tells him, hey, you, you shouldn't go. You shouldn't go. I, I saw the light on your face. And York tells him to just suck it up. Like, nothing's going to happen. Get over it. Let's go. And as soon as Fitz leaves, Dick York kind of like, he thinks about it. He has this kind of like uh, concern wash over his face. Uh, the harshness goes away. And he's like, goes in his wallet. And he takes out the picture of his wife and, and kid and puts them on the map of the, the battlefield, along with his wedding ring. Yep. Kind of like, okay, I'm accepting my fate, kind of. Just in case. Yeah, just in case. It's like a just in case thing. It's like an insurance policy or something. I don't know. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. It's like 
he doesn't want to. Yeah, he's not sure. He's the skeptic, right? Mm-hmm. Riker is the skeptic here. Yeah, and you know, I can't can't fault him because. Well, in yeah, that, in that in that same situation, be like, oh, whatever. I know my fate, um, and it's not dying here on this battlefield. It is the, the the thing people would say to themselves. Sure, absolutely. Um, so, of course, they go to battle, and they they all come back from this uh, from this mission, and Dick York has is the only one who's died. He's the only one who comes back, uh, not alive. <laughs> right. And, um, so the, their, their forward commander comes in and, and that guy's, that guy's performance is spot on, spot spot, spot on. He's phoning it in. He's just all like, is this, this is just the first season of the show. Okay. It's probably not going to go anywhere. This is a one-off. You only want me for one episode for one scene in one episode. Okay. I'm going to phone this performance in. They're like, uh, Hey sir. They, they saw him at like the, the commissary. They're like, sir, we need we need somebody to play a, an old major. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, and he's just, yeah, it's it's like he's never been trained in anything. Yeah, uh, not just acting, nothing. He's been trained in nothing. <laughs> he shows up and he's just like, he's just, he's there are cue cards behind him behind. Yeah. Fitzy, you know, it's like modern SNL essentially. <laughs> yeah, basically, yeah, it's <laughs> yeah, it's Jimmy Fallon without laughing at himself. It's it's painful. <laughs> I mean, it's just like what? Yeah, uh, give us something. Um, it, right? Yeah, I mean, he just he just so he, he's he's talking to Fitzy about um he, he picks up the pictures of of York's character uh, of the 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 baby and the wife and he's like he's just so melodramatic about it and not a very he's just like. Yeah, it's a shame, wife. <laughs> yeah, yeah, kid. yeah. Uh, Man, or stinks. <laughs> and if this were, and if this were uh, real life, I, and I was Fitzy, I'd be like, okay, I get it. Get out of, get out of here. <laughs> right, right. Um. So they, uh, so that guy stops talking, and and Fitz goes outside, and the, the Twilight Zone alum comes over and he says, hey pack your stuff you're going back um to uh home base because they yeah, want they want to check you out we're getting your head checked out basically but yeah yeah section yeah. eight section eight and all that yeah um and so as fitz is packing up his stuff uh, at his uh tent he looks in the mirror and of course in the mirror he sees the light on his own face telling him that he's not going to make it back to that home base um he the private comes over and says, "Hey, can I take your bags?" They get in the. Uh, Fitz goes gets in the jeep, and the 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 star sergeant who's in charge tells the driver of the jeep. He says, "Hey, watch out! You know, there's probably mines on the road down the way." Yeah. yeah. Uh, Fitz Fitz is in a jeep. The private gets in a jeep and says, "Hey, the trip will only be about four hours, whatever." Fitz looks over, sees a light on the driver's face, and says, uh, "It's probably not going to be that long." Yeah. And then uh the scene switches. It's just it's looking at the soldiers at the camp and in the distance they hear an explosion. Oh, yeah. like, amidst amidst some really <laughs> fake harmonica playing, one arm yeah. harmonica playing, <laughs> which is which is really moving to watch, you know. <laughs> it's just like it's like the harmonica isn't even touching the guy's lips and it's all like It's just so funny. Yeah, you you got it, blues traveler. <laughs> yeah exactly oh uh so they say so hear the explosion in the background and they're like oh that was that was that explosion or was that thunder like uh oh, it's, it's probably thunder probably thunder dude so they assume he's they assume he's dead we assume he's dead and that is the episode there it is so steve tell me tell me your thoughts what did you think of it well um i you know i've always really liked this episode um uh, from the first time I saw it. And um, I think that, you know, the Twilight Zone deals with um, war and wartime situations in really interesting ways and in ways that are, you know, far more honest almost than um, than a lot of stuff that you're going to get, um, you know, sort of a straight, 
straightforward, realistic story about war um, may not be able to get at what these Twilight Zone episodes get at. Um, and this one is so interesting. You've got a, a character who sees this light or something on people's faces before they're going to die, and he can't explain it. There's yeah. no rationale for it. It's something he experiences, and no one believes him. Um, you know, they just... Um, he's he's in this position of um, being in in this high stress environment and um and he's also not being believed um uh, for for what he knows he's experiencing yeah you know they bring up at one point captain gunther the alum who i was waiting for him to you know take his helmet off or something and we'd find an <laughs> eye there you know <laughs> yeah. like, oh. my, my wife chelsea was like Every time I see that guy, I just I, I just assume there's going to be an eye. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. It's like after the war, I know he's just going to, yeah, I know what he, he's going to be running at a diner. Exactly you know? right. So, um, he's from Venus. He's from Venus all along. <laughs> um, so, yeah, Captain Gunther, you know, he, he says when Dick York sort of, <laughs> he's no longer Phil Riker, he's just Dick York. He's always... <laughs> Dick York is always Dick York. I'm sorry. Yeah. <laughs> he wasn't even Darren. That's why they had to get someone else, you know? Yeah, they're like, oh, come on. You know, sorry, Dick York. We're, we're, <laughs> yeah. looking, we're looking for someone more Darren. Yeah, exactly. And less Dick York. <laughs> yeah, less Dick York. Someone who, you know, they're not going to come on the screen and it's like, oh, it's Dick York. Um, <laughs> yeah, no, Gunther set, tells him, he says, you know, there's no sign of battle fatigue, which was, you know, what they called post-traumatic stress during world war ii that was that was pretty much the terminology they used yeah um i think that i think that's interesting bringing that up because you've got acknowledgement of um these extra extraordinary situations that people in combat experience and go through and and um and end up being changed by for the rest of their lives. Yeah. Even if in his opinion, it's not battle fatigue, something else, we can only assume that this is sort of manifested recently for Fitzy. It, he's mystified by it completely. Yeah. Yeah. At one point in time, uh, Dick York. <laughs> yeah. Right. Right. Uh, you know, <laughs> says to him in the hospital, he's like, I don't know how to explain this to you, Fitzy. And he's like, I don't need you to explain it to me. Uh, that's right. That's right. I, I don't, I don't need says, you to. Yeah. That's right. Yeah, I don't need it because he's experiencing it. Um, and, you know, explanation, I mean, when, it, when someone comes to you with a problem um, and they, they are uh, they're hoping that something can be done, they're sharing it because they want, uh, they want something to change. Mm -hmm. um, you know, explaining it to them isn't necessarily always the best tack, um, you know, um, right. You know, to sort of make them feel better, um, or to let them know that they've been heard. Um, there was a, there's a psychologist who I I'll probably end up bringing up a bit more, um, in a bit, but James Hillman, who's this renegade, um, psychologist who's a, a Jungian who kind of split off and founded archetypal psychology in the seventies. And, um, an interesting guy, he, he served in the Navy himself. Um, and he said, you know, I think a lot of times people, um, don't end up going into therapy, uh, to fix their problems, but rather to have their problems blessed to say, huh. you know, to have them acknowledged, um, a situation, more like, yeah, you know what? That is a problem. Yeah. Um, and, and just, uh, acknowledging that it's real. Um, the big problem that Fitzy experiences is the same one that Cassandra faces in Greek myth. You know, mm -hmm. she's, um, the daughter of Priam, the King of Troy, and she can, she can foresee the future. Uh, but because she spurned Apollo who gave her that gift, um, he cursed her in a way so that no one actually believes any of it. 
Um, which is a terrible situation to be in. You can see what's going to happen, but no one believes you. No yeah. No one all believes you. Yeah, that's how I feel at work usually when I say, hey, <laughs> we have to do something. They're like, okay, all right, Brandon, whatever. <laughs> You're the Cassandra of, of work. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I know. I think uh, um, there's something relatable to that myth. I mean, that's just it, right? Yeah. Um, so many of us have been in that position of not being believed, and it's it's uh, – you know, it's it's not fun, especially when you know, um, when you know that you're right about something. Right. Uh, or when you can see something coming up, where you're like, "Oh, that's going to be bad." Um, right. And you, you can almost uh, you can almost think of it um, like as parents. So, as as a child, you're growing up, and your and your your parents, adult figures, they're like, "Yeah, don't don't do that." You shouldn't, you shouldn't do that. It's going to be bad. And of course, you know, because we're dumb, we're like, yeah, okay, whatever. Right. <laughs> and you realize, oh, they know what they're talking about. Cause, cause they, they've experienced it before. Um, they, they know what's going to happen <laughs> in, in, right. in this case. Right. Right. Um, but of course, you know, we, we don't, we don't believe it because we're, we're naive or, or whatever the reason is. Sure. Um, yeah. I, I I've been wa- recently watching eleven twenty two sixty three. Oh is, yeah, I haven't been watching that. Tell me about that. Uh, so that is on uh, that's on Hulu, and it's based off the short uh, Stephen King short story. Uh, yeah, which, which is uh, this guy goes back in time and is trying to stop uh, Kennedy's assassinate, assassination. And so there's an aspect of that where you know he can go back in time to try to 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 try to stop the assassination and tell a bunch of people, but you know, how do you, how do you go back there and, and try to convince them like, yeah, I'm a time traveler. Like I know what's going to happen. Right. Um, Interesting. So, so, so there's, there's, there's that aspect. Um, That's interesting. It, it, that, um, uh, the time travel aspect reminded me a bit of, um, I mean, just even, um, it links up to something that, I was thinking about in relation to Purple Testament, which was uh, a Vonnegut short story called Great Day, which he wrote in the 50s, but it wasn't published till after he died. Mm-hmm. And it's about a soldier in the future. It's all told from his point of view, first person. He's saying that he, you know he's a, a soldier in the army of the world, and in the future there's no war or anything. And um, for... Uh, training operation they set up this machine called a time screen that um shows you uh in on a plot of land almost like a, a plot of grass really yeah. um it'll show you uh another time you can you can witness what happened in another time so they dial up basically um one of the battles in world war one in mm-hmm. and uh they're told, you know, don't go beyond these certain lines or you will end up being stuck back there forever. And uh, he ends up getting pulled beyond the line sort of by uh, his captain, Captain Peritsky, and who, who is a bloodthirsty person who wants to ex- experience war really badly and is upset that he lives in a future that's peaceful. Yeah. And uh, they get they get pulled into world war one and he ends up getting injured and he's, he's um, in an infirmary that they've, they've set up in a cathedral and no one believes him. No one believes that he's from the future. No one at all. Nobody believes him, but he keeps telling the story because it's all he can do. Yeah. Huh? I wonder if this is a thing that veterans experience. You know, I don't know. I'm not a veteran, but um, I wonder yeah. this thing of like, there, there's got to be this inability to really get across what you've been through. Yeah, I mean, you, uh, you know all about Vonnegut, so you know, Slaughterhouse Five is the, the, you know, the what I know of him. That's that is the main sure. story I've read of him, right? And, sure. and the whole uh, disassociation. Um, what what it, what it, what does he call it in there, right? Uh, oh yeah, how he's come unstuck in time. Yes, there you go. Yeah, yeah. You know, uh, a, a, a lot of people view that as, 
you know, an interpretation of kind of this, this PTSD and, and really trying to, trying to put the pieces back in place in, in your mind in a way. Yeah. Um, and I, I noticed this also because, uh, Serling is, is also a veteran and I, and I wonder if there's this aspect, um, that like, and, and you mentioned, um, uh, the, the gentleman who was in the Navy before. Oh yeah. Um, Hillman, James Hillman. Hillman. There you go. You know, if there's this whole, if there's, there's something about that, that like, uh, maybe catharsis in writing about, uh, their experiences or, or trying to get that out there. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And, you know, and Vonnegut's a great example because he's, he was so open with, uh, the writing itself of Slaughterhouse Five and how he tried for 20 years to, to write it, but was unable to, he couldn't, he struggled to figure out some way to express what he'd been through. And, um, yeah, that, that urge, I, I think you're totally right about Serling. And I think Serling should be thought of as a veteran, um, storyteller, um, as well, because he comes back to war again and again, doesn't he? Yeah, he does. It's, yeah, it's a pretty common theme of his. Um, yeah, uh, in your, in your class, I'll, I'll bring this up, right? Because you showed them. I showed, well, I, yeah, we were, yeah, I ended up, um, yeah, I, I was, I needed, it was like the last, going to be the last day of class. And I was like, I don't want to teach. No, that wasn't it. Um, (laughs) I was looking for a linchpin on the semester and our, you know, for this composition class, you know, it's how to write papers yeah. And, you know, it's a required class. So, you know, nobody signed up because they were like, they were like, oh, you know what? I want to take a comp class. So, <laughs> so, you know, we had a theme of empathy running through the, the semester mm-hmm. and looking at lots of different, um, looking at empathy from different angles and this, that, and the other. Well, um, the Twilight Zone um, is great uh, in, in the themes that it gives and the metaphors that it gives. So, um, yeah, I consulted with you. I was like, what should I, what should I show them? Um, and you gave me a couple of really good, uh, episodes that are totally tied to, you know, the war, World War II. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, one, one of them, uh, quality of mercy with, with George Takai. Uh, and then, and then another one, uh, I forget what, what it is. Or no, the one with George Takai was the, the encounter. Oh, that's right. That's right. Yeah. The encounter and then a quality of mercy. And then exactly. Quality of mercy. Yeah, uh, the, the reason, uh, and the reason, uh, so multiple reasons why I bring that up. One, a quality of mercy has Dean Stockwell in it. Um, it's it's a war based one, um, and Dean Stockwell was originally going to be in the, this episode. He, he, really? Yeah. Who was? Who, do you know who he was going to be? I think he was supposed to be Fitzgerald. Fitzgerald. That would have been a totally different Fitzgerald. It it, it would have been because this guy. Uh, Tiffany would say he's a hunk. Yeah, I was. You know what's so funny? When I was watching it, I was like, Tiffany would be going, "Shoo, girl!" I'm like, "Girl, you know, yeah, girl." She would have. Yeah, she. I was like, "This is one of Tiffany's fellas right here." Yeah, you know. But uh, yeah, yeah, Quality Mercy. Dean Stockwell was originally going to be in this this episode, huh? Uh, and and he he turned it down. He turned it down for for whatever he was going to be in in something else. Oh, interesting. Yeah, interesting. That's um, really interesting. But uh, but yeah. Uh, anyway, so getting back into the the war theme, you know, uh, Rod Serling, it's something that he he came back to time and time again, um, because you know, you you write about things that you know and and want to get across. Yeah, yeah, and I mean, it was important to him, and I feel like. The Twilight Zone is one of the things I love about the Twilight Zone is how it talks about things that are not being talked about elsewhere. Yeah. Um, in television at the time, right? Um, and very, uh, very veiled. Yeah. I mean, very veiled. Yeah. And how, I mean, this is really, this episode's, you know, about, about death and, and death in war. And that, mm-hmm. that, that's a, that's heavy stuff. Yeah. Um, that's really heavy stuff. And, um, I just, I don't know that's the show is just so unique. The concept of the show is just so unique. It's like, 
it was like it's like a space where those things can be talked about yeah I, and i guess that would be you know the the idea behind fantasy and sci-fi as it is right is is to talk about those things in a way that unless you're looking for it you don't necessarily know that you're like oh we're talking about uh we're talking about racism here or we're talking uh, about right. sociological issues right um, and, and and you know we look back on it now and we see like you know a day the earth stood still and um invasion of the body snatchers and we're like okay yeah that's a uh duh metaphor right but you know right. back back then it's the same with like psycho people you look at it now and you're like well that's not scary but back then it was something that people didn't see yeah absolutely absolutely and it's it's bringing forth something um that needs to be expressed uh, the, the ones that really end up catching on um you know i'm not i'm not a big subscriber to this you know if something's popular it's it's drivel thing um, yeah. I mean, sometimes, sometimes we absolutely, people love crap sometimes. It's true. Sometimes we do, but there's a lot of stuff that people really like as well that, um, that's operating on, you know, I would say an archetypal level. It's, it's making conscious stuff that needs to come out, um, that needs to be expressed. And mm -hmm. I think, I think even like what you said, you know, um, sci-fi fantasy horror um all that stuff um it's almost like what fitzy says um in terms of like i don't need it explained it's just that you know this is this makes sense yeah you know um it makes sense um and 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 in the way it, they film this episode they've got we get to see um fitzy's point of view several times right yeah Mm -hmm. um, we see the faces glow with that weird lighting technique that I don't know how they, do you know how they did that? Uh, yeah, they, they did something, uh, with the overexposure of certain frames and. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So yeah, so we get this effect, right. And we're, we're in his point of view. And then there's a couple, there's that one time where, um, one of the soldiers before they go out, um, Freeman, he's all like, he's all like. Which one of us is gonna get it? Like we want to know. Like we've heard you're a mind reader and all that, you know. Yeah. And then um, Dick York is all like, um, "Nobody's gonna get it because nobody hears a mind reader, right?" And like we get this long panning shot of all the faces of all the faces. And this is what Rod Serling starts it with this in his little preamble. He says, "You know, these are the faces of war." And yeah. so then we get this like panning shot, and they're looking, and we see all their faces. And this is, we know we're in Fitzy's point of view and none of them glow, mm -hmm. none of them glow. But, but again, the only one who dies on the next mission is Dick York yeah. because he's Dick York and he got written out of the episode, you know, <laughs> yeah. they didn't even Dick, bother to replace him with Dick, Dick York. We're just going to kill you. <laughs> right. Uh, I, I, I'm glad you bring up the, the faces again, um, because there's this, there's this thought that I have that, okay. Fitz sees the light on certain people's faces and he knows they're going to die. Right. But the place that they're in, it, does it, does it really matter? Like everybody there is putting their life on the line for, for whatever reason, right. For whatever mission. And that's every, interesting. You know, every, they're in a war zone. Right. And anybody, anybody can die. Right. Um, this and, isn't the, the supermarket. Right. right where he's like, like at the cheese case and he looks over and then like <laughs> this little old bitty's face it just glows and he's all like she's gonna die you know yeah, yeah. no go on go on because, because then I he's wish. like especially with the cheese thing you know he's like oh that cheese is probably bad <laughs> yeah, you know? yeah, yeah don't buy that cheese you're gonna die of food poisoning that's lady. beyond stinky it's stinky cheese that's beyond stinky cheese it's poison oh uh, <laughs> well, yeah i mean that that's that was a thought to me that it's a, it's a good thought because yet because you're right. Like they must all know that this is a, a potentiality, a very real potentiality that yeah. they're going to die. And doesn't that come up in um, a quality of mercy where, where you have this green officer show up and all the guys there are, um, I mean, they talk about all the officers they've lost. Yeah. 
right? And they're just all like, what are you doing here? Like, why are you throwing yourself around like you're hot stuff? And, you know, we've we've seen how this goes. We've lost lots of guys. So yeah. that's a really interesting point. Like, why? I mean, they should all, this should be at the forefront of all the, but I don't know. Maybe there's, maybe there's a normalizing, to an extent, normalizing effect that sets in at some point just as a coping mechanism. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. It, I don't know. I, I, I think it's interesting that because it is a war zone, that is where this story takes place. Yeah. Like, it, it wouldn't have the same, um, you know, uh, in a, importance. In a nursing home? <laughs> in, in, in a, yeah. <laughs> uh, in, a, in a nursing home or, you know. Like, uh, well, <laughs> duh. It's like, yeah, if it was, if it was, um, uh, or, or, at, or at a movie theater. Movie theater, right. Like, um, uh, cool, I'll get you, I'll get you some Mike and Ike's, uh, yeah. large popcorn, 30 bucks. Oh, crap, his, his face just lit up. Yeah, yeah, exactly. That would be bad. That's a bad date right there. <laughs> um, that's a terrible date. Um, yeah, it, that choice is very interesting. Um, and who wrote, Rod Serling wrote the teleplay, is that right? Yes. Okay, so that's really interesting. Yeah. All right. All right well, so here, here's your here's your time. Okay. Tell me, tell me, man. What do you what do you, what would you rate this episode? You said you like this oh, episode. Gosh. Well, I'm assuming I mean, it's going to be a hundred. One thing. Yeah, yeah. I do. I do love it. I would give it um, five hedgehogs. Um, <laughs> that's what I'd get it. I decided because everybody gets to choose their rating system, right? Absolutely, absolutely so right. I was like, well, my system's going to be hedgehogs. <laughs> um, so I'd give it five, and that's out of five hedgehogs. Um, five hedgehogs out of five hedgehogs. Five out of five. Yeah, I think this is. I think this is a stellar episode. This is one that stuck with me when you gave me a list of episodes and said, you know, if any of these appeal, um, yeah. and I was like, I was like, you know, the one where the people's faces glow and they're about to. Yes, that <laughs> is psychologically interesting to me. Yeah, um, and it's historically interesting to me. Yep. Um, so yeah, I, I, I think it's an important episode. Um, yeah, so I have, I have a question. I have a yeah. question and maybe, maybe yeah. you can help me, uh, elaborate or, or really just answer it. So the episode is called the purple Testament. <laughs> yeah. I uh, wanted to get into this a bit. If uh, possible. yeah, absolutely. And it is, uh, it's a line from Richard the second, even though Serling incorrectly says Richard the third, which uh, is an interesting mistake. Yeah, for someone who's so smart, Serling. Yeah. Snap. Snap, 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 snap. Yeah, yeah. Uh yeah. but but uh what what does that mean? The purple testament. Well, you know, um you know, it was um it was originally um what uh Prince was going to record, but you know, um pur- <laughs> purple, purple testament, testament. purple uh. testament. That doesn't quite work. So um, goodbye, no. sweet prince. Goodbye. Yeah. Um, I, I mean, I was thinking of that purple testament. I mean, and then this week and everything. I mean, of course. Oh yeah, prince. But Shakespeare, going back to where it comes from, um, the purple testament is interesting. Um, it, its source in Richard the Second um, comes out of a speech. But well, I've got a I've got a PhD in in literature, right? So I can talk about this, um, right? So um, yeah. I have. I yeah, that, stress, that's the idea. That's the yeah, idea. That's that's the idea. Here we are. I want to stress that I have not studied Richard the Second. Earn your degree, only, Steve. Yeah, I know. I know. It's this is this is where all the Shakespeare scholars are going to be calling in, and you're going to get hate mail from them, and be like, "How could you yeah. have that aegis on?" Um, no. Um, it's an interesting part of of that play because it comes out of this really like vindictive rant that Richard the Second st- just comes out with. Um, this guy uh, who's who's sh- he he's basically knocking on the doorstep of Britain and he's going to show up and um, he wants to take the throne. Uh, Bolingbroke, who ends up becoming Henry the Fourth. Um, uh, Richard II throws this rant down from the ramparts, um, and um, and it's kind of fun. Let me—I've got it here. I can give you a little bit of this rant. 
Is it? Uh, I am Richard the Third. I am. I, <laughs> <laughs> is that? <laughs> yeah, it's uh, Herman's Hermits. You know, did um, Richard the Second? Herman's Hermits. Richard the Second. This is broadcast once and never seen again. Uh, um, yeah. So this is Richard talking, and he's he's basically giving a message. He's all like, "Take this message." To Bolingbroke, he says, "Tell Bolingbroke, for yond me thinks he stands, that every stride he makes upon my land is dangerous treason. He's come to open the purple testament of bleeding war, but ere the crown he looks for live in peace, ten thousand bloody crowns of mother's sons shall ill become the flower of England's face. Change the complexion of her made pale peace to scarlet indignation, but." Dew her pastures grass with faithful English blood. So he's basically being all like, if he's going to show up, there's going to be blood and he's bringing it and it's going to be his fault. Um, and all the people here, you know, you're going to you're going to have sons killed here. Um, nobody's you know, going to be behind this guy. Um, of course, he ends up showing up whooping his butt whooping Richard II's butt and becoming Henry IV, you know, one of the most beloved kings, um, especially in the Shakespearean histories. Um, yeah, and uh, and Back to the Future. And Back to the Future, exactly. I, I think. I, yes. It's been a while since I've exactly. seen it. So right. Seen <laughs> right. So, so, the, so the Purple Testament is essentially saying uh, there's going to be a whole heck of a lot of bloodshed it's bloodshed yeah it's it's yeah. terrible awful bloodshed and i went and i went to the oxford english dictionary and saw if I, I i looked up purple and i looked up testament to see if i could find anything in there about how it was used at the time and yeah. uh, and it was it, it a lot of it does come down to blood or purple um, right and then um and testament is pretty you know it's like a originally it was a, a will um, someone's will. It was, a, uh, you know, the last will and testament. Right. Um, but, um, but yeah, it's 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 basically like a declaration of bloodshed. Gotcha. Um, well, that that then it applies to it, this it, it kind of does. Yeah, it's weird. But it, that slip up that Serling makes, saying it's Richard the Third, is interesting. You know, Richard the Third, the the king who ended and ended up buried in a a parking lot. Um, you know where they they found? Did you see where they found his or who they think is his remains? In a yeah, yeah they found it under <laughs> under like a a grocery store parking lot um, somewhere in England. Um, they found a guy who uh, a skeleton who they think may be Richard the Third. Oh, which is funny. They, they paved paradise <laughs> and yeah. put up a Richard the Third. Yeah, lot. yeah. Put put up a hunchbacked killed king. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Uh, um, that's awesome. Yeah. So, but that's um, yeah. I, I mean, it's an interesting. It's interesting that Serling goes to Shakespeare for this. It's like he's reaching for something, entitling it that, um, that that carries some kind of mysterious clout. Something that would make, say, two guys in 2016 ask, "What's the Purple Testament?" <laughs> you know. Right. And I, and I, I mentioned the title because mainly this is one of the few episodes where, um, I can, I can hear the name of it and say, I, I know I've seen it before, but I don't remember which, what the plot is. That's right. Yeah. And it's the, you know, when I had the list and I was, uh, that you gave me of episodes, uh, I was looking through them and then I got out my DVDs and everything and was going through matching up and I was like, Oh, it's, it's it's the, that's, it's, that's the one (laughs) I I had the same, I had the same reaction. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Um, so I, so I agree with your hedgehog assessment. Thank you. Your five out of five hedgehogs. I will, I will go ahead and go with the guests rating this rating scale and so honored <laughs> uh, i will i will go with i will go with a five for five uh, nice. but, I'll, but i'll make them sonic the hedgehog oh there you hedgehogs. go sorry sorry I, i've been playing it with my son lately so <laughs> oh that's great that's great it's yeah. a classic um so I, I i completely agree uh it, it is a really memorable episode minus the title because i can't remember the title yeah i can't put them i can't put the two together there's a disconnect there yeah uh, is that a, dis- a flaw? Is it is it ultimately a flaw? 
Uh, I don't, I don't think so. Right. Uh, because so long as, so long as the content of the episode, I would say, uh, stands the test of time. Um, you don't necessarily need, need to know the title, right? A lot of people know time enough at last. A lot of people know yeah. nightmare at 20,000 feet, right? They don't know the title, but they know, yeah, that one where Shatner sees a gremlin on the, the wing. Right. Right. Like exactly. The, the, the images are what kind of stand the test of, of pop culture time. Yeah. I think. Um, all right, man. Well, Hey, thank, thank you so much for, uh, for talking about the episode. Why Absolutely. You, why don't you tell us a little bit, uh, about, um, some of your, your uh, social media presence, uh, your, your, your book that you wrote. Why don't you tell us a little bit about that? Sure. Um, thanks. So, um, I suppose the easiest thing is I've got a website where a lot of, a lot of it's, um, uh, uh, listed, I suppose. Um, and it's, it's my name. It, actually, this is really terrible because it's my name, which is this long mess of a, a bunch <laughs> of letters. Um, but it's Steve Gronert Ellerhoff dot net. It's got the dot net. So you expect the dot, the dot com, but it's a dot net. Uh, um, uh, yeah. But yeah, I've got, I, I write short stories and I've got links up there to some of those that have been published. Um, I've got, um, I've got, a novel that I wrote called Time's Laughing Stocks, which which is about time travel. It's about the 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 person who invented time travel and how he basically turns out to be a massive jerk. And um, the he, he takes his twelve year old self on a a tour through time to uh-huh. try to like the last person he can kind of think of who would still think he was cool because he's burned so many bridges is his twelve year old self. Um, <laughs> and so he's like. I'm going to show you how great you become. And they go off on a, this sort of roll doll nightmare journey through time. Um, and then, uh, I have a collection of short stories called tales from the internet, which has, a, a, a bunch of stories in there that, um, something in each story relates to how life is being lived online. Um, and, and, um, Yeah. I suppose it, it ranges from all kinds of things. Um, there's, uh, you know, of course, there's a, a sort of a MMORPG uh, story about a son who introduces his dad to online gaming mm-hmm. after after the family divorce and, and sort of trying to redeem his father somehow, I suppose. Um, I don't know. Um, he's kind of a dumb kid. And then, um, <laughs> and then, um, not a Luke Skywalker, not, 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 a you know, father redemption's a great theme, but yeah. this, this guy isn't a, a Luke Skywalker, I would say. Um, yeah, he's, he's more of an Anakin. More of an Anakin. Yeah. He kind of <laughs> is. He's kind of just a turd. Um, and, and a terrible then, actor. And a terrible, <laughs> and a terrible actor. Well, that's that. Hayden Christensen. Oh, Let's wait. Oh, credit where credit's due. Yeah. 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 <laughs> um, no, good. Hayden. You're great. Love you. Um, <laughs> love you. Love you, man. Can't, can't wait to see you in episode eight. Um, long, long time listener. Yeah. You know, long time listener for some caller. Um, <laughs> um, yeah. So I suppose the internet collection is, it's newer. It came out in November. And then I've got this, I've got this other crazy book that, um, that is based on my PhD, which is the one that you mentioned, the post Jungian psychology and the, and the short stories of Ray Bradbury and Kurt Vonnegut. And that's kind of my, that's way more on the academic side of things. I would say, um, it's literary criticism. Um, and, and, um, it's, it's out there. If, if you're interested in Ray Bradbury's short stories and Kurt Vonnegut's short stories, um, I would say, or, if you're interested in mythology, because really the whole point of that is just sort of saying that uh, their short stories act like myths uh, written in the United States in the middle of the last century. They share a lot of qualities that you find with myths. So right. that's what I, those, those are the books that are out. I'm working on, I'm always working on stuff too, constantly, awesome. but, and I'm, and I'm looking forward to uh, another Twilight Zone episode. That's absolutely right. Stop yeah. it, Willoughby. Yeah, which is a, one of my favorites. Yeah, yeah. 
I, I like I like that. Uh, it sounds like Wallaby because it reminds me of Rocco's Modern Life. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh man, Rocco's Modern <laughs> Life is classic. I hope you don't get the big guy. You know, like that show is hilarious. Uh, I sing uh, R E C Y C L E recycle all the time. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, that's I a... think I think Rocco's Modern Life is underrated. I think you know after you get through all of the Twilight Zone, why don't you have a podcast about Rocco's Modern Life? We'll do every episode. <laughs> Oh, it, we'll we'll do like the the Nicktoons rewatch podcast. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Starting with Rocco's Modern Life. Exactly. I would. <laughs> I'd be there, man. Uh, awesome. Yeah, well, so I'll, I'm going to go ahead and and put all. I'm going to put a link to your site over in our show notes. Um, and I'm I'm looking forward to reading, uh, your your story about the the time travel. Uh, thank you. It, uh, thank times you. times laughing stocks. That's right. Yep. That's right. I, I, w- I want to check that out. Uh, I am a fan of time travel, uh, just in about in every form. Um, I think by his bootstraps. Is that a? Oh a, yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Uh, so sound of thunder. Oh man. Oh yeah. Yeah. Um, so all that's great. Uh, if you guys are academic um, and you're interested in reading uh, his his book about post Jungian psychology and Kurt Vonnegut, Ray Bradbury, it is a really interesting read. Uh, if you if you like the academic side of things, um, so I I enjoy it. Thank you. Uh, check check that out. Um, and for for those who w- listen to the show, uh, if you want to get a hold of me, uh, we can go ahead and and throw it out there. You hit me up on Twitter. I'm at s4ya underscore podcast. I'm on Gmail s4ya podcast. I'm on Facebook. You can always hit me up at www.geekade.com. Uh, search for submitted for your approval. I'm there too, and just let me know. Shoot me a shoot me a five star on iTunes if if you are wanting to do that. You don't have to. Really, all that matters to me is I like interacting with people and I like responding to to emails out there. So uh, hit me up. Hit me up anytime. And until next time, thank you so much, Steve. We're going to talk about Stop It Willoughby here in a couple weeks, and we'll get that out there. Thank you so much for coming on the show. You're you're swell. Thank you, Brandon. Thank you. This has been great. You are swell. <laughs> <laughs> Emphasize. You are swell. You're so you're so swole and swell. All right. All right, man. Thank you again for coming on. And uh, till next time, everybody. I'm Brandon. This is submitted for your approval. <laughs> <laughs>